the great inner realm defilement. What we will look at in this message will be probably the most profound dimension in him that each follower or a person who is considering becoming his follower must be prepared to look at and seriously be prepared to go on this process of unveiling to come into the complete life which Jesus died and rose for us to receive and live from. It's absolutely no mistake that this life-changing truth and reality starts at the very beginning of the divine eternal testimony of God in Genesis 3, 6-13. Genesis 3, 6-13. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a great delight to the eyes and that the trees were desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were them opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by Adam and Eve has had and continues to have today catastrophic consequences for all of mankind. And it is these consequences and the impact of these consequences which we will unpack here. I have called this the great inner realm defilement, causing the separation of God and man, the great covering up and accusation of God and those in God, because this is exactly what took place on this day, 6,000 plus years ago, and the impact is just as great today as it was then. Up until this point, there was no inward defilement no covering up or over, and no one accusing or blaming because Adam and Eve were pure and undefiled. Genesis 2.25 And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were naked in front of God and one another, and there was no shame. Where there is no shame, there is no need to be covering up or over, and there is no accusing or blaming, and there is certainly no fear. There is only love. This is the very eternal posture in him we need to get back to as this is the place we have fallen out of, the posture of glory. Every human being, no matter who they are, where they are from, what they have been raised in, their color, their culture, starts their lives from this posture of defilement within their innermost being place, which is a hidden realm in the womb. Until the Holy Spirit reveals this defilement in us and to us, we live from this place. We sing King David crying out to God to have truth in this hidden inner realm, for he was a man who came into the reality of having this defilement in his womb. 
Here are the scriptures we are going to unpack in relation to this great inner realm defilement. Genesis 3, 6 to 13, which I've read. Psalm 51, 6. Matthew 16, 23. Luke 9, 55 to 56. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Matthew 10, 39. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10. And possibly look at Revelation 3, 20. Let's start with our key passage in Genesis. The first covering over and covering up in man's history starts at the very beginning of this entire story. We are only a few days in and man is covered up and covered over, afraid of his creator, his father. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Look at what demonic knowledge does. It causes you to cover up and cover over and be afraid of God. Before they partook of the tree of this knowledge, they were naked, unashamed, and completely uncovered, free. The consequences of their actions wasn't that God didn't love them, but they no longer loved him due to being separated, cut off from him, and made an intentional active choice from this new place, this new knowledge they had, to cover up and cover over. They had eaten the substance that created the opposite spirit to God, which now had them demonstrating this demonic wisdom because of the spirit they are now of. Peter, James, and John were of this very same spirit along with the disciples, which caused them to model demonic wisdom as well. They had the same substance in them too, just like all of humanity does. Jesus said to James and John, they didn't know what spirit they were of. This is the position which all, yes, all of humanity starts their lives in and from. And there is absolutely no way man can reverse this inner heart position or way of being through himself. It is a permanently fixed position, a stronghold forever reality. Man and man's strength cannot change this forever position. God is the only one who can. This inner, hidden position in the womb is of the kingdom of darkness. And the only one that can release us from this inner, hidden posture of darkness, which exists in us, is the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of God. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who can rescue us out of and into himself. This is why Paul preached him, Christ, Christ crucified. Not words about what Jesus did, but testifying of the power of Jesus to change him, to change a life, and no longer doing his own thing, his own way, but sharing about the power of Christ, which enables Paul's life, a kingdom, godly life, a life of godliness. This was the message and the demonstration of Paul's life. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says this, for he, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness, which is within us, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, which is to be within us, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. This eternal truth in Colossians 1, 13 to 14, is something we experience through God's power, Jesus Christ. It's not something we are just to make a verbal or mental agreement with through our intellect, and we say we agree by faith. 
Just because we agree with what Jesus has done doesn't mean we are one with him and have experienced what he has done, what he has accomplished. Now that is a massive absolute statement of truth. We must experience him on the inside, the resurrected one, not just say yes to the words in the Bible. Let's now look at the verse 8, and we see here the next covering over. They, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They heard the sound of the Lord, and their innate response was to hide. This is the second covering over. Once again, this is completely the opposite to the posture they were once in at the start. But because of the knowledge they are now living from, they are hiding from God. The hiding externally is coming from an internal reality. One may not be hiding from God externally and can very much look like they are in God and in this posture of being open and uncovered before God while being completely covered over to God and his way. This person to the natural eye looks like the real deal, but to the discerning ear of the spirit, this person will be able to rightly judge this false counterfeit in a way that the person is still living in and living from. This position is called honoring me, God, with your lips, with your empty words, but removing their hearts far from me. Isaiah 29.13 Then the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lips, lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learnt by rote. Look at the first line of this verse, as it is so revealing. Because this people draw near with their words. This first line says it all. Who are these people? They're God's people. What do God's people do? Draw near with their words. Whose words? Their words. These followers of Jesus who are covering up and over this hidden place, the womb, say all the right things with their words. They mentally agree with what the scriptures declare. And as it says, draw near with their words. They sing the songs. They attend the services. They go to discipleship groups. They give their money. They serve somewhere. They preach their principles and pray for the sick, etc., etc., and yet still remove their hearts from the God they say they love. When what they are covering over starts to be found out by the one speaking the word, Jesus. Notice I said Jesus when I said speaking the word of God. Jesus, not the scriptures. It's the Christ, the word that exposes all things. Of course, none of these people believe they do this at all. They all fundamentally reject and deny the possibility of this being their reality, while their lives demonstrate something else. As mentioned earlier, the deception can be in what one is looking at. A person or a people who I am describing, who draw near with their words, all look the part, but when tested by the Spirit directly, or one who is in the Spirit of truth, what is truly there comes forth the demonic spirit of pride in demonstration. This spirit of pride is either highly aggressive or passively aggressive, but either way, it is aggressive and not the spirit of humility. This spirit of pride is protecting itself 
and fighting to keep itself alive and well. And it accuses and blames, once again, the one who is in truth and bringing the spirit of truth. We will look at this in verse 12. People's words, their confession doesn't match their actions. This is a very real reality in the body of Christ today and always has been and always will be. Just because we verbally agree with the words of Christ doesn't mean at all we are one in Christ and are living a life in Christ. Deuteronomy 5, 28 to 29. The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to me. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. I want us to look at verse 10 now as we see an exact pattern emerge that is in verse 8. Verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. The key common denominator in verse 8 and 10 is heard the sound of you. When Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord, they hid. They covered over and covered up. This is the absolute opposite posture of the one they should be in, but it is the one they are in fact in. And it is the one we all start our lives from because we are of Adam. We all start from the opposite spirit to God. We all start in and from this demonic spirit of pride, the wisdom of darkness in the inner realm. When this is still your true posture, although you are covered by his love, you are not crucified by love, and you too will hide and shy away when the sound of the Lord, the word of God, Jesus, is declared into the earth. You will cover up and cover over your heart instead of receiving the word being spoken. Just because they, Adam and Eve, still knew God was God, didn't mean they could live godly. It didn't mean they could actually live lives of godliness. And Peter, James and John, and the rest of the disciples, and all humanity, yes, you and I, are exactly the same. When we still have this demonic spirit of pride living in us, we can be covered by love, have a revelation in the mind that Jesus is the Messiah, given to us by God, but still not be able to live in alignment to God. Peter is the exact example of this. Hence the rebuke Jesus gave Peter in Matthew 16, 23, when he says, get behind me, Satan. This comes directly after Peter receiving the revelation from the father that Jesus is the Messiah. Peter was a stumbling block to Jesus himself. Peter's life isn't asked of him here. There is no imminent danger on the horizon that would cause Peter to be afraid. So is his response just one of fear? No, his response comes from not approving of the sound of the Lord Jesus. He, like Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord and instantly disapproved of it. He didn't like what Jesus said because it didn't fit into his carnal mind. Adam and Eve hid while Peter didn't hide but went straight into defense mode, which is the second expression or symptom of still having this demonic spiritual root system of pride existing in you. Adam and Eve's second expression was to blame and accuse God and Satan for their behavior, which we will look at in verse 12 and 13. 
while Peter's was to rebuke Jesus himself. Matthew 16, 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. All because of the sound of the Lord. The word of God, Jesus Christ, is spoken before it is anything else. When the word of God, which created life, is declared into the earth, there is a sound release that shakes the deep recesses of humanity and tests what truly lies within the hearts of all humans. It doesn't matter if you are a follower or not, for the word of the Lord doesn't differentiate between the two. The word of the Lord creates a sound at a certain frequency which reverberates into the earth, testing what truly resides in our hidden, innermost being place, where we get to discover what is truly there, him or still us. Adam and Eve were found out. Peter, James, and John were found out. What about you and I? Have we been found out yet and had this demonic spiritual root of pride crucified by love and replaced by the spirit of humility? so we can come into the complete life in Christ and become the spotless and blameless bride? Or are we still covered over and covering up, defending, blaming, accusing, excusing, and justifying our position all the way continuously because of pride? To do this is to sabotage one's own spiritual life, and it keeps us out of any and away from the full and overflowing life we can know and experience in his son. This is the very fruit of being partakers of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God commanded man not to eat from. Verse 11, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Who told you that you were naked? How did Adam and Eve know that they were naked? Isn't this just the question? that the man or woman continue to ask, how to's? How do I or we come into this life? Well, the answer lies in the text. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Adam and Eve ate from the demonic tree that caused spiritual death, and they instantly had knowledge. All they did was eat. They ate, and the outcome was the knowing of their true state. Now, if a tree that's root system is dead, and actually caused Adam and Eve to be cut off from God spiritually, not physically, and ultimately causes death, can make you aware of the reality, being naked, what happens when we eat from the tree of life? We are brought into true knowledge, which makes us free. True knowledge transforms us, builds us, enables us, empowers us to become like the sun, and live as the sun lived. There is no eating, and there is no asking how to. The eating is the how-to. Jesus instructs us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Otherwise, we have no life in us. The how-to is to eat and drink. We know how to do that in the natural, but do we know how to do that in the spirit? Eat the food that God has already given, the bread of life, his son, the manna which came from above. Eat and drink of the real food, the eternal food, and drink the Messiah. Spiritual life is in the blood, Deuteronomy 12, 23. God gives us this very clear instruction, this command to eat the food he gives. And we continue to eat like Adam and Eve from the tree we are not commanded to eat from. Why do we do this? 
This makes no logical sense at all. Logic has nothing to do with it. Neither does reason or rationale. It's a spiritual dilemma, not a physical, natural one. We do it because the spirit of pride, this demonic way which is discovered in the deep recesses of our innermost being, still lives and is active. This operating system continues to operate and continues to feed us with a false knowledge, which keeps us in a false state of being. We verbally and mentally agree with the true knowledge, but are not eating it as commanded. What we are in fact eating is the knowledge we have always been eating. From the tree, we are not commanded to eat from. This leads us beautifully into verse 12 and 13, where we will see the outcome, the wisdom that's demonstrated when one eats from the tree of false knowledge. Verse 12, 13. The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is the very first accusation and blaming demonic wisdom we see in the eternal gospel. The amazing thing is, who is the first person to get blamed? The one who has done nothing wrong. God is not the one who has done anything wrong, and yet we see the one who has disobeyed God, the one who has done wrong, blaming God. This is a consistent pattern in the lives of followers today. Those who are guilty are the ones who find themselves accusing and blaming the innocent ones because the demonic spirit of pride is still alive and well, and they demonstrate demonic wisdom. The person who brings the word of God, the sound of heaven, the frequency of heaven will always be blamed and accused by those who still have the spirit of demonic pride living in them. Why is this the case? Because it's the word that comes to crucify the spirit of pride in a person. The word comes to establish itself within its rightful place, the temple of God, you and me. This is where we see the flesh and the spirit be in direct opposition to one another. The flesh cannot live out what the spirit can. A person who is in the spirit doesn't respond to someone in the flesh. When the one in the spirit is accused of not being this or that, or is blamed for being the problem, the one in the spirit of humility will always respond from the spirit, love. This is the evidence of being set free from the demonic spirit of pride, which James says in James 3, 14 to 16, is of bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, lies against the truth, disorder, and every evil thing. This wisdom is earthly, natural, demonic. Because the spirit of pride still is alive in us, we cannot live the lives of love we have been created for. Even though we are covered, this demonic spirit of pride can't love the way we are commanded to love. It loves within the limitation and conditions it determines. Earthly, temporal. It loves those who love it, but it cannot love those who hate it or don't like it. And it hates those who have his love in them because this love exposes it for what it truly is, a counterfeit. This spirit of pride loves based upon behavior. If the behavior is not offensive, then it's all good. But as soon as the behavior in its eyes is deemed as unacceptable, the spirit of pride retaliates, either aggressively or passive aggressively. Either way, it is highly volatile and aggressive. The one who has the spirit of pride still in them cannot love the way of God. It is impossible to love 
as we are commanded to love, to love humanity until this demonic spirit of pride is crucified and replaced by the spirit of humility. All this is accomplished by receiving Jesus Christ in the deep recesses of our hearts, the place David called the hidden room. We must receive Christ, the one who was crucified. Habakkuk 2.4 Behold, as the proud one, his soul is not right within him. Psalm 138.6 For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Proverbs 16.18 Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Proverbs 18.12 Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Here's just one passage that prophesies the true testimony of what God needs to do in us by his power. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 7. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. This testimony, which Paul prophesies of, must become all of our realities through the power of God, the knowledge of the glory of God deep in our innermost being. Romans 3.23 says, We have all fallen short of this glory, the glory of God. Adam and Eve fell out of this glory when they partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They fell from the glory of God. And in turn, all of humanity have fallen short of knowing the reality of having God's glory in us to full and overflowing measures. This is why when Christ enters into our innermost being place behind the veil, the glory of God is restored back into the original place it had begun. We now have the glory of Christ in us because Christ in us is the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 27. This was the mystery that Paul had been preaching and was entrusted to preach and proclaim into the earth. This is what it all means to be made complete in Christ and to experience the tangible knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The sad reality is that God has fully aware of what got lost this day and pursued man in the hope that man would also be pursuing God. But what we see is man hiding and covering himself up over from God. Only God fully realized and knew what was broken that day, divine fellowship, glory with man, while man is completely unaware and continues as a whole to be unaware and so lives his life void of fellowship, glory in himself and with God. When Adam and Eve lost the glory, Christ, that they were hidden, covered in, they saw what was beneath the glory covering. They saw their frailty and the truth of where they came from clay, dust. So they then tried with their newly gained knowledge, which was demonic, to cover themselves. They failed miserably. All of man's efforts cannot and never will be able to obtain his glory, the glory that man lost. Nothing that is created can ever match the glory of the creator, the Christ. Self-determination is the evidence of pride, which says, I, not God, determine my life and what is good for me. Adam and Eve at the beginning 
were with God in his glory. Mankind were one with God in divine fellowship because iniquity and sin didn't exist. Because iniquity and sin has no place in glory, God came looking for man when he fell from glory. God felt the full force of man breaking this divine connection and his response to seek man out is the evidence of his love for man. Knowing man has just committed spiritual suicide. God provided the solution, his son, the instant it was broken by looking for Adam and Eve and ultimately also in giving himself and his son. When one's arm is cut off, the body that has life automatically senses something is wrong. Something is missing and searches for what's missing. The disconnected arm, on the other hand, cannot sense that it's cut off nor seeks of itself to find and reunite with its body. Adam and Eve didn't feel the broken fellowship and their pride, which is demonic, would not allow them to go back naked to be reclothed. They chose to hide and clothe themselves and accuse and blame. This didn't mean God didn't come looking and still is looking, but man isn't. Have we all been set free of this demonic spirit of pride, which is determining its own life and what is truth and good? We say, of course, but what are our lives saying? What our lives are saying is the true evidence of what we believe and whether he, in fact, has been crucified in our deepest recess of our innermost being, the hidden place, the womb. A church that keeps itself covered over in the heart will never be the church Jesus testifies she can be. She will always live beneath the eternal standard and life she has been called and chosen to live from. Although she will attempt to possess the life that is in her groom, her Lord, her Savior, she will always come short of it because of her unwillingness to be uncovered before God and others. She will attempt to access the life she hears about through the world's ways, which are demonic wisdom, and always be left empty-handed. There is no other way but through the death of the spirit of pride, which is concealed and hiding in her inner place, the womb. Until she is crucified by the Christ himself and the resurrected one enters into this hidden inner place, this behind the veil reality, she is powerless to live to the standard she has been called, the eternal life by faith. The Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ and it is I that no longer lives, but Christ lives in me. Paul never got on a physical cross and got crucified. So what is he talking about here? As Paul is testifying to a reality that didn't occur in the physical, but obviously occurred in him because he lived a Christ-life light out after his crucifixion. The answer to this lies in Galatians 1, 11 to 12, where Paul testifies to who he received, how he received, and where he received, the who he received. Paul didn't receive the message of the cross, but the messenger. Paul received the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And because of this, he got crucified with Christ. When you receive Christ in this way, you automatically get crucified with him in the innermost being place and come into the life Paul testifies to in this verse. The outcome of this crucified reality is I no longer lives and Christ sets up his home in us in our womb, our hidden innermost being place where David says he wanted truth. This demonic spirit of pride is crucified, circumcised, killed, 
and a spirit of humility is given to us by God in this new innermost being place. We have gone from being covered over, accusing and blaming and afraid, thinking we are believing, thinking we are in him and him in us, to being uncovered, vulnerable, transparent, humble, and we start coming to this kingdom life which he promises we can receive and live from now and become ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, ministering and administering heaven on earth. Let's look at the second part of Galatians 2.20. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. When we receive Christ, we are crucified with him by his power because Christ is the power of God. We stop living from the flesh and start living by faith in the Son of God. We start living from the temporal, the seen realm and start living from the eternal, the unseen kingdom realm. Faith is way, way, way more than just saying, I believe in God. Faith is coming into all that is concealed in God Jesus and living from this eternal life, being his bride. We are to be the bride on earth now. The crucifixion of self, the spirit of pride through being crucified with Christ is the beginning position of transformation into his image. Notice I said the word image. It's not about doing anything first. It's about becoming Christ-like an image, which is a reflection of who he is. If this isn't our beginning, then all we have is our forms of godliness through our doing. And this is futile and empty. We must be a circumcised, crucified people in our innermost being place called the womb. We must allow ourselves to be uncovered and give over our hearts entirely to the process as this is all he asks for. There is no other way to life but this way. Psalm 51, 5 and 6. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inner being, the innermost being, the hidden part. You will make me know wisdom. What does it mean to know wisdom, Jesus, in the hidden part? Do we even know what the hidden part even is? Do we even know what it is to be brought forth in iniquity and sin in our innermost being, our hidden part? We must transition from being in iniquity and sin to being in Christ, in faith. We must go from one dimension to the other because he has died for the nature and power of iniquity and sin. Iniquity being our nature and sin being our behavior that misses the mark. There can be no excuses any longer. His life has destroyed the nature of iniquity in us and given us a brand new nature to live from. He has forgiven our sinful behavior, which misses the mark, so we can live by faith in him. Our behavior is not what disqualifies us. What disqualifies us is our unbelief. We don't believe even though we say we do. We verbally and mentally agree, but we don't believe. Jesus said the work of God is to believe. Believe in who he is and believe in what he says. If this is not our reference, then we have nothing at all. And I mean nothing at all. Not only are we in iniquity and sin, we are in forms of godliness and unbelief, which all need to be exposed by the light and come out of us so we can get into every aspect of our being, spirit, soul, body. If demonic wisdom is in us, it will come forth from us. There is no other way around this. What's in will come out. 
when the right situation presents itself and is tested. Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Luke 9, 55 to 56. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy man's lives, but to do and save them. This is all part of when James and John were highly offended, and out of them came Satan's demonic wisdom, the behavior, which was destructive and completely opposite to God's wisdom, his demonstration. This comes out of many on a very consistent basis and will continue to while we remain covered over and continue to blame and point the finger at others living in fear, as opposed to taking personal accountability for our true state. This is why we see Paul introduce Romans 12, 1 and 2 into the mix. This is the heart and mind scenario. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Once again, this is all about the circumcision of the heart, the crucifixion of the spirit of pride, where we lay our lives down unto him as worship, allowing him to go to work on man's heart, allowing him to circumcise the heart with his eternal word, his son, Hebrews 4 verse 12. Romans 12, 1 is Psalm 51, 17. They are of the same kind. Psalm 51, 17 says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise the spirit of humility. This is how we are to come to the Father. We come with the spirit of pride being broken into pieces, Luke 20, 17 to 18, because it has fallen on the chief cornerstone. The broken spirit is our spirit of pride, which dies this day, and God gives us a brand new spirit. It's called the spirit of humility. It's a poor in spirit, dimension, which one now has operating in them, which gives them complete access and the ability to possess all the life in the kingdom of God, heaven, within them. Matthew 5, 1 to 11. The spirit which is poor now enables and empowers our minds to be renewed by the spirit, which means our feelings are now being defined by truth and not by our thoughts, circumstance, or situations. We are truly on the process of becoming a kingdom ambassador reflecting and representing Jesus as the king of this earth. We can see Paul discuss the way to being strong in God through becoming weak. How does that work? In the kingdom of God, everything is back to front to the kingdom of the world. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for powers perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of God might dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. These verses are incredible and give us insight into how power does a deep work in us and what it empowers us to be able to live out. We find ourselves being able to demonstrate the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ. No longer is the wisdom of darkness coming forth from us, but the wisdom of light, starting with his divine love, which is why Paul is content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. This is what allowing God to crucify the heart, renew the mind, and the divine emotions does. 
It enables us to live an eternal dimension on earth because we have lost our life for his sake. Matthew 10, 39. This is the life we find from losing our entire lives. Matthew 16, 23 and Luke 9, 55 to 56 are two examples of demonic behavior from the kingdom of darkness, which occur when the spirit of pride has not been crucified in a believer and the mind is not being renewed and the emotions are not being refined by truth. What lies hidden in the inner realm will come forth. And so what comes out of us needs to be crucified and put to death by Christ, the word of God. So what continuously comes forth from our innermost realm, the hidden place of the womb, is Christ and Christ alone. 